welcome to episode six of Cobden Now We're Talking, the podcast for Cobden, about Cobden and about what's in store when visiting Cobden. We're already back at school and work after our summer break and we've got stories to tell and people to listen to. We hope you enjoy our lineup for episode six. As always, we'd like to acknowledge that Cobden Now We're Talking is the official podcast of Progressing Cobden and is supported by the Cobden and Districts Community Bank and the Corangamite Shire Council. In this episode, we want to introduce you to Rowan Keat, Principal Cobden Tech School, and Andrea Stothard, Cobden Tech School Community Engagement Officer. The Cobden Tech School is aiming to have the school and its students become more involved in the Cobden community, and we will hear how they are planning to do this. We'll bring you part four of the Alma McDonald story. I'll bring you up to date with what's happening in the Cobden Streetscape project. And I'm going to start a conversation with Cobden's former police sergeant, Alan Hart, and find out about the days of illicit whisky making in the region. Joe Beard and myself recently caught up with our local police to talk about how to respond if you're involved in a serious incident in town or can see something happening which needs police attendance. And Gary had a chat with Mark Roberts, our local Cobden Australia Day awardee. sent Trev to Cobden Tech to talk to staff member Andrea Stoddart and Principal Rowan Keat to find out what's taking place throughout the school year this year and what the students will be studying throughout 2021. Hopefully they'll have a normal school year than last year. Rowan is the principal of the school and Andrea is the uh, Cobden Community Link Coordinator and we're just going to talk about what we're going to do between the school and the podcast in future episodes. Um, we want to allow the communities to see the connection between the school and the town. Uh, in future podcasts, we will talk to current students and past students and how they see the community and where they are and what they are doing now and where they've ended up. I think that'll be of interest to everyone. Along with that, we'll keep everyone informed of what the Cobden Technical School is doing in the community and their current initiatives of um, being able to integrate the community and the school together. Rowan, I'd like to just ask you, um, we've spoken a bit this morning about where we're going to go and what we're heading at, but give me a bit of a, an insight into yourself and the thoughts about where we can go with um, these sort of podcasts. Thanks, Trevor. Yeah, we're pretty excited about being involved with the uh, Cobden podcasts. Schools are pretty busy places and, and we're the privileged few that get to work in those places and see young kids develop and uh, head toward their future careers but often that happens and people from outside the school don't get to see all of that so I see the podcast as a perfect opportunity to I suppose open the virtual door of what we do to anyone who wants to tune in and subscribe and down and uh, and listen to the podcast we last year when we had the year before when we had our 50th anniversary we set up a, a, a Cobden Tech 50th anniversary Facebook page and that was it nearly broke Facebook it was so busy also the indication then when we post something that matters to our community on our school Facebook page, we get hundreds of likes straight away. So we know the things that are important that people want to hear or see more of. So we're looking forward to coordinating bunches of our students to lead this project, um, to be interviewed and give outlines to your podcast production team about what's happening inside the tech this year. And as you said before in your introduction, We've got a careers coordinator this year who will be known to many as the former principal of Cobden Tech, Peter Rock. And Peter Rock is looking at finding out 
where past Cobden Tech alumni, former Cobden Tech students are now, and telling some of their stories. Oh, that's that'll be really good to hear because we're finding in the podcast that it's not the people so much in the town that love the podcast; it's the people who have been in part of the town or past students um, really get involved in listening to the the podcast. Andrea Stoddart's a former member of Cobden Tech and has returned to us after a couple of decades of working in, in Colac. Says on a daily place, I love working here. And um, part of the things, one of the things she's leading is being the link person between the Cobden community and the Cobden Tech School. Um, she's been a, she's put together a committee, which we call ourselves the Cobden Community Connections Committee. We met at the golf club um, at the end of last year and we committed to working together and we tossed around ideas about how we might work together and out of that has come some projects that we'll be talking about in upcoming project and podcasts. I nearly gave that one away, <laughs> Trevor. And um, so Andrea is the coordinator. She's bringing it all together and just bringing the key stakeholders together to make sure that the, you know, what we do in the te- tech um, uh, enhances uh, the Cobden community and uh, and vice versa. Oh, that'd be perfect. Um, Andrea, have you got any thoughts you'd like to add to that? Yeah. Hi, Trevor. Um, yes, thank you, Rowan, for those kind words. Um, yes, I am very proud of uh, Cobden and the students who uh, work in, attend this school. I worked here from 1990 to 97, and upon my return last year, I was uh, delighted to be teaching now the students of the past students. So it's been um, a wonderful return to Cobden to uh, to be greeted so warmly by all the past students. Um, Joe Beard, our counsellor, uh, we only caught up a few weeks ago and it was just wonderful and she spread the news that um, Andrea was back in town and so I'm feeling very valued and I'm looking um, forward to connecting our current students with members of our community so then that true community spirit is uh, is able to grow and that we have wonderful um, times together moving forward. I can see that this is going to develop into something that uh, will be of interest. It won't be a, a drawn-out series each podcast, but... We will have the school and the community and uh, all working together to promote the town of Cobden and the, and the community of Cobden and how it all fits together and the school is a vital part of that connection. And now let's hear part four of the Alma McDonald story in conversation with Denise Butler. Grab a cuppa and settle into this one. Okay, Alma, we have looked at some ways in which the town that we see now is different to the town that you grew up with. And one of the features that I've been made aware of is that Cobden had a cinema. That's correct. What do you remember about the Um, Cobden cinema? Did it have a flash name or was it just the Cobden cinema? it didn't have a flash name. Just go to the pictures. Okay, you went to the <laughs> pictures. So tell us about going to the well, pictures, please. Well, it was in the hall where uh, Scott and um, Chelsea are, of course, yep. now. Um, it had a building at the front, which is not, no longer there, which was where the tickets were sold and the entrance doors. The It had a sideway, which was the changed room, the ladies' cloak room, I suppose, and the gents' cloak room. 
not that there were toilets in there, they were down the back in the old-fashioned way, but uh, they, we would leave people who walked, would leave their walking shoes or mm-hmm. their rubber boots, uh, whatever was required in there and put on their pretties and go out and have dances and all sorts of things. But the pictures were on every Saturday night in my youth, in my mother's day, she can recall when the talkies came. Prior to that, they'd been silent films. But the talkies were, to mum's way of thinking, really something. But those jerky black and white things, you know? Yes. But when I went to the pictures, they were all black and white. I can well remember the first coloured film I saw. But we as children never went because we didn't live anywhere near the pictures. Mm. But as I grew older, as a young teenager, I used to work in the shops next to the theatre at half-time. I would go out before the half-time started and go to the shop that I worked in, and before the pictures ended, I would always go there and work. But to get to the pictures, uh, the man who operated the projector lived uh, a bit further up our Cross Forest Road where I lived as a child and he would give me a ride on his motorbike. Otherwise, we had to ride our bikes or walk. So we didn't very often come. But I didn't start going to the pictures until I was home, left school and started to work. So what was your first movie, can you remember? Yeah, it was a Disneyland thing. Um... Fred and I went, but he was closest to my family in age, and uh, the fox was in the blackberries. You remember that? Oh, Brer Rabbit! I laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. (laughs) And that was that black and white. Yes. Yes. So, what was your first coloured? Oh my goodness! First coloured one. No. No. Okay. No. When did we lose the cinema? Oh, well, we, Bill and I were married, um, I don't know, but started to lose its flavour and I guess the quality, I don't know, when people had other entertainment mm. I and mean, there was nowhere else to go for entertainment except the dancers. Um I suppose when my children were little, just getting born, 1960s. Okay, I was going to say they that. They went downstairs from there on. Yeah, well, we, well, TV came to Australia in 56. Yes. So yeah. did many people in Cobden have a television set? Oh, no. Before, no, no. say, 60, 62? No. No, okay. So the cinema would have still had an audience Yes. at that mm, point, yes. but by, say, yeah. the mid-60s... Yes, if People it was a good home. film that yes. they rented, it would be on Saturday and Friday. Ooh, two nights. That was pretty good. Mm. Sometimes there would be one on a Wednesday night, the Friday, and, a Saturday and Wednesday. But people came in from all over the place to mm. them as people got cars. Of course. The entertainment everywhere altered with the people... Well, everybody lived close to one another when you you had no way of travelling. Mm. But once 
After the war, people had ways of travel and they went further afield. Further afield, yeah. So when do you remember electricity coming to town and then out to your farm? Uh, we never had electricity on okay. my farm, yep. ever, until after my father had passed away and then mum was there on her own, so we had it connected straight away. But he, as I said earlier, he was extremely old-fashioned. Yes. And he had gas lights... And he was happy with gas He was lots. happy with his yeah. gas lots. Yeah. And uh, but mum was there on her own in a four-acre garden. Mm. So she needed something. She needed it. Mm. Uh, as soon as he died, actually before he was buried, I went to, as soon as he passed away, I went into the SEC and uh, saw them and asked for the, it to be connected. He had refused to be part of a scheme where all of the farmers in that area had paid towards it. So I went in with some money and that's what we had. And I said, I've come to pay his, his, sec- his, his part. part and we need it instantly. Now, and they yes. put it on straight away. They so the excellent. SEC was a state electricity yes, commission in those days when yes. the electricity yes. was run by the, the electricity government. came to Cobden in 1924. Right, that was, yes, yes. good. Okay. But it, did didn't come to, it only came to the town. A town. Mm. Did many shops that you remember have electricity from the beginning? I imagine they did. Yeah. I don't know. You don't know. Okay, that's cool. Yes. They must have done. Yes, because I mean you That'd were born be crazy in 1930. Not to. Yes, yes, but you know small communities. I oh, know they would have had. They would have had. Okay, so you can't remember a period where the town was largely without electricity. No, no. Okay, no, I can't cool. remember. Okay. Um, but the town was ex- this, the opening hours. People shopped once a week. Mm. They didn't trot down. To the grocery every shop every minutes. five minutes yeah, to no. get something I'd forgotten. You no. learned not to forget. Yes, um, because we were on farms, mm. and even when my husband and I were in the old ways, we only shopped once a week, yep. Yep. and the bread was delivered three times a week by a driver. Yep. Uh, but no, people shopped differently. Mm, they they bought differently. Yes, yes, they did most. Even when I was a child. Quantities, larger yep. quantities. Yeah. You bought yep. flour by a big bag. Yeah, mm. yeah. So you talked about riding bicycles into town or getting a, a lift on a motorbike, yeah. you devil you. So what were the main forms of transport for your when I was a childhood child, and to your bicycles. say mid mid teens, yeah, mid teens. Well, people had cars. Yeah, um, my brother when he came back from the war, he bought his first the first vehicle we had in my, in our family. But Jim had been a driver in the army before ah. he went to New Guinea anyway, yeah. um, and so he he had. A, a cast a ute straight away. He was a carpenter when he came back from the war, but uh, I bought my first car when I was twenty five years old. What was that? A Hillman Minx. Oh, how many Hillmans were the first cars <laughs> of young ladies? My word, that was a popular yep. car. Yeah, very pop. That and Morris's. Yes, yes, they were wonderful. Yep. And how far afield did that car take you? All oh, lots. <laughs> Lots. <laughs> it wasn't just All across the road anymore. No, 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 no. 
opened our horizons enormously. Scotts Creek to the dancers. So how important were the dancers to our local communities oh, in those very, days? Very. Um, they had balls occasionally. We, we all got dressed up and went to those. But there was uh, dancers at Scotts Creek. Scotts Creek Hall dancers were well known. They were popular. Scotts Creek Hall had been burnt down um, oh. and in a bushfire that went through there. And after the new hall was built, they it was very popular. There were pot dancers at Glenfire and Narragut. Yeah. Buses used to run to the dancers. You'd catch a bus down the street and the bus would take you wherever you wanted to go. I'd always assumed, because a lot of the families that I um, come to meet as a celebrant these mm. days, their parents often met at the dancers, and I've always assumed that they went there in cars with friends, and a lot did, but no a one's ever did. mentioned the buses before. A lot did. Yes, there were buses that you travel to dances. Well, there you go. Wow, yeah. that's wonderful. Okay, so that's transport. I had my first bicycle when I started work. Ah, so you didn't have a bicycle I didn't as have a, a child? Bike. No, no. I bought my first bike when I was 14. So that would get you into the factory? Yep, to travel to work on. Yes. yes. I bought it from Mr Borton and now I paid it off weekly. I took some money out of every payday, paid yep. him. Yep. And where was his shop? It is where the sewing machine lady is now. Ah, Vicky or Helen? Helen. Helen, okay, yes. so right in the main yes. street. yes. It's great to have some of Cobden's living history recorded in this podcast. We encourage you, the listener, to suggest other possible people to interview to keep our history alive. Over the past few months, the Shire Council has been putting together ideas from the community to upgrade the Cobden streetscape. At the January Council meeting, approval was given to a contractor to construct the streetscape changes. So what is going to be done? We sent Chelsea to investigate. Okay, so we're here at the Civic Centre this morning and we're going to have a bit of a chat about the, the streetscape. So I'm here with Councillor Joe Beard. Um, so do you want to give us a bit of a walkthrough as to where we're at with the Cobden streetscape? Yeah, I'm um, pleased to be here with you too today, Chelsea. This has been a long time coming. Um, and I said when we moved this recommendation at the council meeting, I actually moved to it and spoke to it, that... I'm taking the glass half full approach with this one. You know, it's been a long time coming. Um, you know, we have a rolling budget from year to year for streetscapes and I've watched Cobden move up that list um, every year that I've been on council. So it's exciting to finally have it at this point where we've had a design, we've had it go to tender and we finally awarded the contract for these works to begin um, in the next coming weeks. So um, through following, well, we had various means of having to do public consultation Certainly not in a way we've ever done before because we had COVID last year. So normally we would have face-to-face -face, um, meetings on site where we talk to people in the community, talk to the businesses and get their feedback on how they wanted the streetscape to look and um, perform, I guess, how we wanted the people to be able to move around and to tick all the boxes of um, aspirations of, and the vision of the community. Uh, but due to COVID, um, which we all know had an impact in so many ways, Definitely. we actually had to go to online um, consultation which was pretty different especially for me who's used to talking to people face to face so I think in the whole scheme of things we've come up with a 
pretty good streetscape outcome. It's um, it's going to be just fantastic because it's going to be new. Um, it's going to be you know a great renewal of what we've already got. So a few things came out of that online survey that wasn't expected, wasn't it? So like the the possibility of murals and um, artistic seating, yeah, plantings. I, th- and I think stuff because like that. it was almost ran in alignment with the Grand Tourism Plan mm-hmm. um, that Progress in Cobden were running. Um, I think there was a lot of, you know, collaboration from the feedback yeah. and that there was some um, – we've seen some opportunities for what the feedback was coming from the community about art, different styles of seating, mm-hmm. um, obviously acknowledging that we're in an ageing population, that, you know, that we can better cater for um, improving the lifestyle and the way in which people, you know, navigate their way around our streets. So, Which includes the gopher parking and yeah. disability parking. Yeah, well. and so it was incredible to get that feedback um, and, as I said, to align it with the tourism plan to actually see this as a great opportunity yep. to, you know, partner some of those projects into the one. Mm-hmm. So as you said, we've got an actual designate, designated area for gopher parks I'm, I'm still unsure yet how we're actually going to have out. the detail of that um, we've certainly allocated the area near the supermarket because I mean I don't know about you but some days I've gone down there and there's five gophers out the front <laughs> and um, it's kind of a little bit here there and everywhere yep. but to actually provide a safe space for those people that are using those and yep. then obviously for the pedestrians to navigate their way around it mm-hmm. I think is a really good initiative I'm not too sure if it's been done in any other towns but um it's something that we're going to try and achieve yep. or we will be achieving and I just hope that it will be a great outcome for all those people that need to utilise that. Um, obviously, you mentioned about the invalid car parks. We've got, you know, a handful of those within the street already yep. but from when those parks were first installed, like there used to be one near the doc- well, the um, Curdy Street Clinic where Dr Griffiths used to yep. consult, yep. Um, well, that's no longer needed there because obviously there's not a doctor's clinic anymore. Yep. So let's be smart about it, move it to areas that it will be better utilised. So there's been some great feedback from the community into regards to those areas. So um, we've got more um, that have been planned for the project and, yeah, I think that's one aspect that's a really positive thing for the town. Another thing that came up from the survey was the uh, long vehicles. Yeah, so we've um, acknowledged that um, long vehicles, particularly passing through Curdy Street is a, is a thoroughfare for heavy vehicles. Um, we all know that. We're used to it. We've grown up with it. Um, but, you know, they want to stop off and have a coffee, you know, a bite to eat. And often we're finding there's a bit of congestion around the bakery area in particular. So there will be some um, long vehicle parking um, outlined now in Adams Street, which is just around the corner near um, the plumbing near Greg McQuinn's corner. Mm-hmm. So, and that was following consultation also with Greg. I mean, and that area can then also be utilised when we've got funerals at the Uniting Church. So it doesn't have yeah. to be specifically for long vehicles. Um, but we know we're wanting to encourage people in caravans yeah. um, to stop and spend some more time in our Farmers main street. With trailers. Yeah, yep. anyone like that. Yep. So there will be a designated area now close adjacent to the main street. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so obviously there's going to be considerable disruption. Ideally, it would have been great to have had it um, already happening by now. But I mean, these processes don't just happen overnight. And obviously, we've got to work in conjunction with the contractors. So, um, which is Blue Civil and um, oh, yeah, Blue Civil from I think they're from Biragara actually um, to work in with them. And um, yeah, so from what I understand, we'll be starting in the next probably mid February. Um, but I think there will be a lot of um, communication with the businesses, local businesses. So the whole area isn't just 
upheavaled all at once. There will be yeah, a stage, um, a stage yeah. um, a staged approach, which is what happens in our towns when we do it. In, you know, when we've done streetscape projects yeah. before. Yeah. And uh, the big kicker, I think, for us is we're continuing to advocate to Regional Roads Victoria, who everyone would normally know them as Vic Roads. Um, they're actually in charge, and the pavement or the carriageway mm-hmm. of Curdy Street, that bitumen is actually their responsibility. And a lot of the feedback was that we need that road fixed up, yep. you know, because yep. it's deteriorated and there's lots of cracks and um, potholes and things like that. So we've been advocating to them to actually do those works at the same time. So we limit the disruption to particularly the businesses and then obviously the um, customers at the same time. So fingers crossed we can get that one over the line as well. Brilliant. Well, thanks for having a chat with me today. Um, if anyone's got any further questions or, you know, um, things to say, how do they get in contact? Yeah, well, obviously um, the project, the contract has been awarded. So the responsibility, I mean, council obviously, or the shire officers oversee the project for its entirety. Yep. But if you've got any concerns or queries relating to the streetscape, please either give myself a call because um, I'm constantly giving feedback anyway, just as a local <laughs> council, and I've usually got too much to say. Um, but this has been a massive project, as I said, that I've been waiting so long to yep. get um, done. And um, I think, yeah, if anyone's got any concerns or queries, feel free to give me a call or they can always contact the Shire office as well. I think it's important to note too, Chelsea, which I didn't tap on um, earlier, but this went from a $300,000 budget that had been earmarked for the last 10 years to... Um, a $600,000 project. So when you look at the amount of work we're going to get done, yeah. um, it is a considerable lot more than what we would have. Originally, And yep. um, it just also goes to show how much costs have gone up when we go to do works like these. So, and, and thank you for advocating on our behalf for that. Oh, I, I just always knew that $300,000 was never going to be enough. <laughs> and this needed to be a project that just wasn't about replacing a footpath. We yep. need so much more. We want to have some points of difference. Yep. Um, not just, um, yeah, as I said, the flash new concrete footpath, but we also want some new garden outstands. We wanted some new seats. You know, we want to have create something that will actually give people something to feel good about. Yeah, that's right. Not only town pride, but also as um, tourism. So yeah, absolutely. Coming to the regional areas um, rather than internationally, you know. Yeah. We want people to have a good um, first impression of Cobden. Yeah, and an amazing experience. Yeah. And we do that. We That's our, our main aim at the end of the day and we want to keep people longer. So yeah. we can have an attractive main street in our town. Get them to stop and spend some money with yes. our local businesses. <laughs> tick yep. lots of boxes. Joe, well, I've got you here. Um, we wanted to just have a quick chat in regards to a few incidents that have happened over the last couple of months um, regarding the police and just kind of wanted to get your um, feedback or just an insight into how the council has been working with the local um, police. Yeah, um, so as you know and as most people know, we've had some really trauma- traumatic um, incidents that have affected not only those people directly involved but also the wider community, which is really um, not the normal for a small community like Cobden. Um, But we've been really lucky because of the existing relationships, I think, that we have, uh, that I know we have with, um, particularly at a higher level in in Victoria Police, we've been able to continually keep um, an, an open relationship with them to have them continue to support us in the way that we need it most. Uh, I was, there was a, compl- a police survey that was filled out mm. by our community members um, going back probably over the last couple of months and 
it was quite evident from the feedback already that they've started analysing was that the police presence was an issue, mm-hmm. not only for Cobden but I think the region. And, I mean, yep. there's various reasons for that and obviously I'll let Bill talk to that. But I think it's important for our community to know that they're actually um, deliberately um, out there showing Cobden some real love and care at the moment because they know we need it. Yep. Um, I can't criticise the the support that personally I've had from them checking in with me on, on my community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's amazing that they've acknowledged the fact that they don't want to just be seen as driving what they call their vans around, what we know as police yep. cars. Yep. They actually want to have their feet on the pavement. Mm. And I think particularly for the businesses after what occurred with the news agents, I think that was what a lot of the local businesses needed was mm. that reassurance, a bit of understanding on on what they could do if something like that happened and um, and just I think a follow-up on, on what actually occurred following the incident. I I believe the police, as I said, are, are making a real genuine um, attempt and, and they have been to be present here. They're changing their – from what I understand, they're actually changing their um, their shifts as well to help support Cobden. Yep. And I think for us as community members, our we have a role to play in this too. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bill, will he will definitely talk more to that. But it's about um, not only calling triple O if there's an emergency – but more importantly, if you just think there's something that's not quite right. So you'll often hear people say NQR, not yep. quite right. Triple yep. um, O, when you call them, if people have never called Triple O before, they'll answer and they say police, fire, ambulance. Yep. Then you get directed through to the agency that you need, the emergency agency you need, and then the process begins. So if it's only just to report that there's a hoon driver, that's the number you still call. If there's a, it's a, because there's a car accident or a theft... Mm. That's the number you call. Um, so I think we've got to um, get in our mind and have a, a change of mindset that it's only for emergencies. It's if, it's if there's something just not right. Um, and I personally have used the number before and have had an outcome. Yep. Um, and I think if we're going to help continue to be a part of that, creating the change and feeling safe in our community and, and not feeling like our innocence has been taken away, we need to help be part of that change. And, yep. and Bill will certainly be a big advocate for um, you know, utilising the triple O number and then that, that getting through to the right people that need to know about it. Because, I mean, they can't catch people if they don't know what cars they're driving or, yeah. you know, if there's someone suspicious lurking around a street or something like that. That's well, the way that's they need That's what helped with um, the newsagent arrest. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, that was an incredible, brave um, outcome, you know, by having a community member being involved in that apprehension mm-hmm. And to know straight away that he was aware that something just didn't feel right, yep. didn't sound right, didn't look right. Yep. Um, so, as I said, if it's about, you know, cars speeding, hoon driving, which I've been complaining about a bit lately because I <laughs> noticed it in my street in Cobden, um, the only way we can get people caught up for that is to actually provide that feedback to the police. Yep. But I think also just touching on what you were saying about the community engagement that the police are interested in doing and um, people would have noticed that the police were involved with the fire brigade um, with the uh, Christmas with a difference. Yeah. So they wanted to be involved um, driving around and and engaging with the community. I think those kind of um, community engagements are are, such a great step. I think growing up for me personally and I know – for you, Chelsea and, and Gary, you always knew who the local police were um, and that was real community policing and then for yep. whatever reason for years 
that kind of dropped off a bit mm-hmm. and um, you didn't have the numbers of police in communities like we used to as well. Yep. But I know there is a real conservative effort and dedication to turning that around and even knowing that one of our new police officers, Gags, has been over at the Cricket Oval and he had the speedo out on the boys or the kids doing their bowling. <laughs> and, I mean, the kids came home and said, yep. oh, Mum, Gags, <laughs> was it cricket tonight? And, I mean, I don't think they've ever known the no. names of the police officers previously. So yep. um, I know there is, as I said, a real conservative effort and a shift in making sure that community policing is at the forefront yep. and particularly here in Cobden because of the incidents that we've had and that they are so abnormal that they know that they need to have a real presence. So I think we're very fortunate that we've got that commitment from them. And for me as a council, that's something that I'll continue to keep liaising with them and providing the feedback that I hear to them to help them do their, you know, to do whatever they need to do better. So now you know there's construction work coming to a street near you. That's Curdie Street in the next couple of months. Watch your step and look forward to the upgrade. Have you heard the story of the illicit whiskey making in the southwest of Victoria? Sounds a bit like the Wild West if you ask me. If you want to hear what really went on, let's listen to Frank pick Alan Hart's brains on the real story of the Whiskey Stills Trail. I'm here with Alan Hart today and we're going to talk about the Whiskey Stills Trail um, around Cobden in the southwest of Victoria because it's a historical relic, I guess, of the area that not everybody knows about. But first, perhaps I need to introduce you to Alan Hart himself. Uh, good morning, Alan. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Now, people may not know who Alan Hart is, so tell us a little bit about Alan Hart. Alan Hart, gee. He's long retired from the police force, but I spent 22 years at Cobden. Uh, played a bit of cricket, was in Rotary, in the Historical Society, and enjoyed just hunting up history. That's always been a bit of a passion from the old high school days. What would have been the highlight of your 22 years in Cobden? Whew, good question. I think the fact I lasted 22 years and those <laughs> locals didn't kick me out. I think you can get to a use-by date, but I just enjoyed being there. It's a great, it was a great place to bring up kids and it was a great place to, to work and uh, mix with the community. Okay, so uh, being a policeman in Cobden... What got you interested in the whiskey stills in the area? Uh, the history side of things. I started to uh, look into the history of all the police who'd been at Cobden when the police station opened and all that, and I came across a fellow called James Murdoch Arthur, the mounted constable back in the 1880s, and I found the first still. He went on the hunt, and that's what got me started on this. Okay, but it be- did it become a passion to get it all sorted? Oh, yes, it sort of took over there then. Uh I hunted uh, high and low, and Wendy Reed from Timboon at the time was had a couple of articles published in the Standard. She had an interest in uh, the Delaney's and whiskey making, and uh, I got in touch with her. And at the same time, I was down at Deakin Uni at Warrnambool, going through the Standard, and over at Camperdown, going through the Chronicle, and it just yeah grew. It took over a lot of time, but I loved it. I know, having seen your lounge room in Cobden at the time, that there were piles and piles and piles of different history, um, <laughs> I guess, stories, um, all, all, all stacked up according to whatever the particular interest was. Um, and, I, and, and so going about the research, um, was it mainly through Deakin or how, how did you um, 
come across the information that got you started? Yeah, mostly, mostly Deacon and going to the newspapers because it's the policeman in me. You like to get things in chronological and time order. So I thought, do I go backwards? Do I go forwards? And I eventually met Jerry Delaney for one, and then I met Tom Delaney. They're involved. Their family were involved, and they gave me some rough dates and some times, and that's where I started. And uh, I think it was back in 2003 we had a meeting and decided to form the group Whiskey Stills Inc. And it's grown from there. Unfortunately Tom and Betty have passed away but yeah we've had a lot of locals from down that area who were willing to share stories and come to meetings and just talk about it. So other names um, involved in the whole story... Um, <laughs> you linked up with more than just the Delaney's, I think. Oh, and, yes. Uh, yeah. There was, uh, I'll look at the back of the book, which I think you've got a copy of, The Whiskey Trail, written by Alan Wilson. Um, John Casey was the first one, 1881, and he stayed around the area. He was down at Curdy Siding, uh, and he was still selling grog without a licence 20 years later. Uh, John Delaney, Tom Delaney, there was Dennis Dynan who we're still to learn a bit more about. There was James Hopkins, an older local man. Um, James Love, the Loves lived in Cobden for a time, and then Tim Boone. There was John Spark, he lived down there, and he's now buried up at Charlton. And there was Thomas Thulburn, who uh, the last still that we know that was captured, but he was up at Mortlake. And then there's James Patterson Wilson, and it's his great, great Alan Wilson who's written put this book together. The, uh, the whiskey trail. So Wilson was sort of doing it on his own, obviously with knowledge and sharing info and probably sharing a, a bit of assistance from time to time. The others often were in pairs because it took a bit of effort. So there are a lot of the names still around the area. Oh, yes. Um, but not necessarily all of them. And uh, um, Alan Wilson has done a great job writing this book. Yeah. I'm not sure how we picked up Alan Wilson. I think it was an article in the Cobden Times after we unveiled some plaques back in 08. It was a wet day. We were meant to do Delaney's Corner. We were going to do one at the Boggy Pub. Uh, and I think the other one was Whiskey Creek. And it was so wet, we just couldn't. <laughs> and Jerry came up with the idea. She had had it all blown up, photographed, blown up, on a big bits of cardboard and got some beautiful green cloth we adjourned to the Boggy Pub. I stayed up the corner in the rain for a bit in case anyone turned up the air and said, go to the pub. And we unveiled all three of them there. And I think we got good coverage out of the camp at our Chronicle Cobden Times. And uh, I think we then picked Alan Wilson up. He thought, oh, I, I know one of my rallies was involved. All right, so that's Alan Hart and how he became involved <laughs> in the whiskey stills. Did you have a taste for whiskey, by the way? I have been known to drink it and I still do. And it's a toss-up. Is it Irish or Scotch? I think if you drink the Scotch whisky, it burns sometimes when it hits the pit of the stomach. But whisky, the Irish, has been distilled that one more time, the fourth time, and it's a little bit smoother and not quite so uh, burning, as they say, but it, it'll still have the same effect. But I still, yeah, I still drink Irish whisky more than Scotch. Now we might move on to the actual story of the, the whisky stills and the whisky trail. Um, and... I wonder, Alan, what led to whiskey st- illicit whisky stills being set up around southwest Victoria? 
I think it, I think it wasn't as much the Irish factor, and uh, there were so many there. They brought it with them. They'd have been home in Ireland watching mum, dad, grandpa, or the uncle, or whatever making it. Possibly not always a recipe book at hand, and they brought it with them. And it was they weren't in a commercial sense. It was weddings. It was birthdays. It was funerals. They just loved to get together and enjoy themselves and have a chat. And I think the fact. Farming was pretty hard in those days. Not every crop succeeded. They had to clear the country and you'd be wet, you'd be cold, you'd be miserable, you'd probably be hungry. And I think when they got home at night, you'd take the old wet coat off the boots and have a whiskey and try and warm up a bit. Look back and think, I've got to do it all again tomorrow. And I think even probably first thing in the morning before they went out, <laughs> just have a bit of a nip to quite, uh, get you started. Quite possibly to warm up. <laughs> So I think the recipe was there. I mean, they were isolated, so you didn't have policemen looking over the fence. They were all of a like mind. And you had one thing that perhaps we really do need, and that's beautiful, clean, clear water. Okay, so that's that's perhaps why it, it happened. Um, na- nationality and, and just the conditions that they were working and living in at the time. Um, when and where... Were the stills set up in mainly and over what time span in years? Well, the first one that was captured in this lot was 1881 at Delaney's Corner. So that's the corner of the Great Ocean Road and the road down to the boggy. And I don't know whether the sign's still there. It keeps disappearing. And I say to, I used to say to Tom, haven't all your relatives got one of those at home yet? Because <laughs> you'd have to be on, I'd be onto the Shire or mine saying, can we have another sign at the corner? And it's a bit like that at Whiskey Creek too. And um, that was uh, there, there was one at Whiskey Creek. Now, when you think about it, if you come down um, Whiskey Creek Road, you think of all the roads you've passed, Missons Road, Loves Road. They all belong to locals, but not Whiskey Creek. That's one that Christie gave a name to, the customs bloke hunting them. So you get your Vic Roads directory out and have a look, and it's the only non-local road you'll find in the shore of Hatesbury or Moyne or whatever. Uh, there was another one at Naranda. There was one at the scout camp at Brucknell. That's where J- James Patterson was. Hopefully got before it became a scout camp. Much further before. <laughs> he only rented that land. James was a bit of an entrepreneur. He had land at Lingamite but then was insolvent and had to, lost a lot. Then he came down to uh, Bracknell and started another venture, lost a lot. But he had 25 children, two marriages. And at the time, he was 65 from memory. His signature was in the old watch house book at the Cobden Police Station. That was one signature I did have. Arthur brought him back to Cobden and lodged him there. And then the, there was uh, the one up at Mortlake, where uh, that was the last one in May 1895, Thomas Salburn. But that worm that was found at Mortlake was one they didn't capture earlier down in our area. And the Delaney's, one of the Delaney's went up to Mortlake and was living there at the time. And no doubt Mr Tholburn thought, yeah, I can make some money or have a go to. A few stories about the worm that uh, we might come back to and <laughs> just some uh, some amusing little anecdotes, yeah. I think. Okay, so that's why they were there. That's when they were there over a period of about 14 or 15 years, 1881 oh. to 1895. Oh, yeah, about, probably about even a bit earlier than 81, but yep. someone must have got a bee in their bonnet and... Victoria not being that, that older colony, they were looking for revenue and they thought, well, the locals are drinking it, 
because that's one thing they did. They shared it. It went to Warrnambool. It went to Wangoon. It went to Garvok, to hotels. It went to the races at um, Kuroit one day. There was an article. Oh, it's in the book of um, PMU John Christie. They reckon it was the only alcohol on sale at the races. And by the end of the second race, everyone was in a fighting mood. So it was always found to be pretty good strength, about 49%. They had a couple of the brews tested, and it varied between 11.9 and 14.5 overproof, and that, that equates to 49% at its strongest. So it was pretty good stuff. So you've just mentioned the book, Damn You, John Christie. We haven't touched on who Christie was at all yet, but we'll come to that. Right. Um, but, yeah, very, very interesting book um, written by John Lay, who was a uh, former... Um, a journalist, writer for the Melbourne Age, and uh, yeah, very interesting read about the individual who got heavily involved in in policing the whole the whole business of whiskey. Let's get some money back. Yes, Stop it. That's right. So uh, I was going to say what led to the push against the still. So it, it came out of government, I guess. Government's feeling they were losing revenue. There's all sorts of reports that Tom was making a hundred gallons a week, and they were losing probably £25 a week, and every pound was a pound in those days. Uh, Wollaston was the customs and excise man. You've got Wollaston Road and Bridge in Warrnambool, so that's where the names come from. And Christie, an ex-policeman, he'd retired by then, they approached him and said to him, can you go down there and see if you can catch him? Stop it. He, he did all sorts. After one of the shipwrecks, he was chasing down Princetown the tobacco that washed ashore. When the Fiji sunk, he was down there and he caught John and Thomas Delaney taking away dutiable goods going up the cliff face and I think there were snaps and there were acid and there were little balls, uh, what else? There was all sorts of things that just washed ashore. Tobacco was a big one. They lost a lot. It must have been packed tight and apparently what was in the middle was still worth getting. Yeah, and so this was pre-Federation, of course, so this yep. was all Victorian government then, chasing yep. down every last dollar Looking they could for get dollar. for consolidated revenue. Yep. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, who were the main players on both sides? Who were the baddies? Who were the goodies? You've probably listed off <laughs> people who are known as the baddies, but who were the real baddies? Were there any re- baddies? I mean, <laughs> it's a victimless crime in one sense, and the fact it was so good... At what we were getting out here on the ships from England was probably the, the worst of the worst of the whiskies from England and Ireland, but they said that'll do in the colonies, they'll drink anything, and these blokes were making a darn good product and at a reasonable price, and it was available. And I think it was probably one or two of the hoteliers realised that if they could buy it cheap off the boys or get it supplied, sell it cheap, but keep everyone happy. Baddies... None of them were super baddies. I think if you really damn you, John Christie, maybe he glossed it up a bit once or twice about Tom and Desperate Man. And there was, uh, he appeared in the um, Police Gazette. I've got a copy of the 189. He's, he's billed and he wore a hat, wore a suit. But he really was a pretty jovial man. If you go through Delaney's Corner, written by Joe, the family history, and there was no, no assaults, there was nothing vicious along those lines. They just enjoyed it for fun. They didn't really commercialise it. I think if you look at the Scotsman, yeah, when they got hold of it, they knew what to do with it. Make money. Make <laughs> a lot more. So the hoteliers who had it, they weren't going to dob anybody in. They were, they were making their cut by selling it and uh, they were 
helping out the local community, weren't they, the local farmers? Well, the ones who had a lot to learn were the customs department themselves. That first one, they got rid of the whiskey, they sold it to a fellow called, or Job Wines, one at an auction, and the next minute in the standard, big edge, the celebrated Naranda whiskey on sale at Job Wines' hotel, and he would have made a fortune compared to what he bought for it. And from then on, they destroyed all the equipment, and then they destroyed the grog, tipped it out, tipped it down, whatever. They never, ever went to tender again on trying to sell what whiskey they had recovered. Right. Okay. <laughs> they learnt a hard lesson there. There was obviously too much to package into one episode. Let's hope that your taste buds have been wetted for more whiskey and more of the whiskey trail into the future. We continue to hear, I must say, far too often of the criminal activity in our district over recent months. So we sent Gary out to have a chat with our local police about what to do when you experience or witness something which is not quite right. So as a result of a recent interview with Chelsea and Councillor Joe Beard, there was the uh, discussion about the local police. And Joe joins us this morning together with Senior Sergeant Bill Caldew and also acting senior sergeant Andrew Raven. So uh, to kick things off, Joe, let's just recap about what you uh, said the last time when you were talking to Chelsea, roughly. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Obviously, um, one of the important messages following the interview with Chelsea just before was around the need for the community to obviously alert the police in whatever way they can, and usually it's through the triple O, and reminding people how important it is for us to play our role in community safety um, by using that triple O number. And and, and an example, so obviously we've got the police here with us today to talk more about that. Um, We really want some feedback too on the police survey that hopefully a lot of people in our community were involved in, I know I was. Uh, so certainly keen to hear a bit more about that too. So first of all, it, basically it's as a result of what uh, took place recently, recent events with the uh, Camperdown situation and the Cobden robbery. Um, and it, I, I think uh, a lot of it comes back to confidence with people who have, may have seen something or witnessed something having the confidence to actually ring triple zero. Yep, so certainly, Gary. So um, in both cases, the Cobden Roadhouse armed robbery and the armed robbery on the newsagents, on the day as matters evolved, um, we got some great information in from the public as the matter evolved. So the triple O calls in um, really assisted us in getting it together and, and actually piecing out what was happening both at the time and for afterwards. Um Particularly in relation to the roadhouse robbery, the information that came in really assisted us in getting on the right track for for the second offender. Um, and without that, um, it might not have taken place. But so, I can only encourage people for like in relation to these really critical matters or anything that's going on at the time is to give us a ring on triple O, please. Um, only too happy to respond to to those calls. Uh, that's what we're here for, particularly for, you know, hern drivers, things that really stick up your nose, they stick up my nose at home. Uh, if you've got that happening around the place at whatever time, please give us a ring and we'll address that. That's, that's what we're here for, that's what we're paid for. In relation to the community surveys, 
really happy with the feedback we've got. If it puts us, if it puts us on notice of what we of what the Cobden community want us to do, we're all the better for that. If they want to see us out more and that sort of thing, which is the clear feedback, that's great to hear that. So uh, let's let's talk about a couple of those points. In particular, things like you, you said about the Hoon drivers. If people see or witness a, a Hoon driver doing something illegal, what what should they do? Well, the first thing they should do is try and identify as best as they can what sort of vehicle it is. So what colour it is, if it's got any registration plates, um, if possible how many people are on board. Um, all those little snippets of information help us and, and as little as it may seem to them um, at the time, it may mean more to us that we have more information on. So um, local people usually know who are in their town. If they see someone that they don't know or a car they're not sure about or looks a little bit suspicious or out of place, um, yeah, call triple zero or call the local police station here at Cobden. And Yeah, and, and Andrew, that was a point I was going to say. Can people still have confidence to ring the local station and know that they'll get somebody locally or will it divert and go elsewhere yeah because we're 16 hour stations um uh, not all the time that you will find someone in the police station that we had on the road um but in most cases that will divert through to warnable and you'll get a, a police officer at warnable who, who will you know provide you with the information that you need so not all the time no but if it's of an urgent nature the first thing they should do is call triple zero even follow up with that if it's if it's the next day and you're and you're ringing up the police station, we'd much rather know about the information than not than you sit on it sort of thing. So, really, I want to enforce it. We're really happy to take the calls. Um, if if you haven't got the full registration and that sort of thing, at least if we know about the events taking place, we can you know we can work more towards yeah towards rectifying. Just as an, as an example, on the back of uh, the incident that happened with at the. Um, Roadhouse down here, there was a gentleman that we spoke with who had very, very limited information. He said, look, there's a car that's gone up this road. It just looked a little bit suspicious. I travel this road every day at this time. Um, I haven't seen it before. They were driving a little bit erratic. That little snippet of information was so crucial to us in identifying who these offenders were. Yeah, right. So, yeah, any little bit of information they have is, is most important to I us. I guess too, Gary, and I'm interested in the guys say, but around if there's a pattern, so there's a... There's been some hoon driving not far from where I live and um, I've actually had my parents make some commentary around it too and I said, well, what time is it happening? Is it at a regular, you know, same time each night? And that's the sort of information that we can then, you know, give the police. So if they haven't particularly been there on, a, on, on the night that they can actually catch them, they can perhaps go back another night or another day around that same time that it's supposedly happening and then that could be a good indication to to be there for the present. So it, it, I think it's really important, as you said, any information is good information. I couldn't agree with that more. We're, we're looking to, to to hear about what these issues are and then proactively task around those. So if someone's, if a hoon driver is knocking off work at 10 o'clock on a Thursday night and then decides to do, you know, burnouts or, or that on his way home consistently on, a, you know, 11 o'clock on Thursday night, we'll task around that. And we're, we're happy to do it. As I said, that's what we're here for. So we we want to address problems as uh, as far as the community sees them. I guess uh, an, another point towards all of that as well is the locals having confidence to know that uh, there are local members present. And, and that may vary from day to day. Um, 
but uh, to, again, to have the confidence to know that there are local members around, not necessarily because you can't visually see them, but to know that they are around at different times of the day. Yeah, absolutely. If, if um, Cobden's not around or they're out, out of town or, or they're doing another job, Camperdown's not too far away and we regularly cross paths, um, you know, throughout Terrain, Cobden and, and Camperdown and the Crangwine area. So if Cobden's not about, there's always someone that's about. Yeah. Mm. Yep. That's right. There's, you know, it's not just Cobden, it's Camperdown, it's Timburn, it's Port Campbell, it's Terang. They're all absolutely within, within striking distance. There's highway patrol units from Warnable come through um, for, you know, five o'clock in the morning sort of stuff. There's on-call members. There's certainly here for the, for the service. So, and Another point too that uh, uh, we were mentioning off mic, but um, in general conversation, not just Hoon drivers, but people also need to be aware of school zones and school times and uh, don't speed through them. Absolutely, and I mentioned off mic, you know, COVID, all the schools were shut, so we're ramping back up now. Schools are schools are back, um, and it's certainly something that the local member here at Cobden's been doing, and and at Campbelltown is is enforcing, you know, the speed restrictions in school zones. There's kids about, there's parents about, there's buses about, so um, yeah, 40, 40 k's in school zones. And people are probably a little bit out of the habit with school zones. It's but it's been off for a while, so it's something you've got to fall straight back into. There's been some serious tickets handed out this week around school zones, so yeah. And I think um, just mentioning too, we're actually highlighting, you know, getting that little bit more um, notability of our local officers too by getting them in front of the cameras. We did earlier with um, Don. Who, who getting people to know who their local police are and getting them involved in some social media posts, reminding the community of what, you know, what their responsibility is to keep everybody safe. And I think that's ticking a couple of boxes, once again, of getting people to understand and know who the police are in their community um, and getting people familiar with and, and understanding who they can go to and putting some faces to names I think is really important. And the police are acknowledged that and we're very grateful for these guys to be supportive of that as we endeavour to get that police presence um, uplifted here in Cobden in more of a familiar familiarisation as opposed to just, you know, being in a car, actually being able to physically see them too. So we're very grateful for that. I agree. And feel free to go up and say good day to them too. Yeah, yeah. Don Absolutely. Barracks for Collingwood, unfortunately. So, <laughs> so footy-wise, we're, yeah, but oh. feel free to go up and say good day. And if you've got an issue that you want to address... Feel free to go up and talk about it. That's yeah, that's what that's what we're here for. Uh, also, whilst we've got the opportunity, it was briefly mentioned about the recent survey and, and the results have literally only just come in the past day or two. Is there anything that uh, has come out of that that we can um, go forward and use to our advantage, i.e., from the members or from the public's perspective? There's really clear feedback that the, that the community want to see us out there, out and about. So we'll take that on board and we'll certainly, we're tasking and we're putting our daily business around being out and about and being seen to be out and about. One of the main issues that came out of that is drugs and drug use. So we're certainly policing around that. But again, to the community, we ask for any information that you can provide around that to, to please provide us to it. And like what Andy was saying about one little snippet of information helped 
uh, solve the uh, the roadhouse armed robbery. It's sometimes it's just that one little bit of information that'll help us with other things, or um, it builds up our our in intelligence holdings around that. And we clearly don't like drugs in the community. They never ends well. It uh, it creates other crime. It's uh, terrible for people and for their families and that sort of thing. So any work we can do around that, we really want to proactively do. Another point from the survey too was um, the road safety. And I know we've just been talking about hoons and, and the like, but um, road safety in general, what's the feeling there from uh, the response from the survey? Oh, that's one of the big points as well. Um, um, road safety and um, you know, enforcing the road rules, um, speeding, um, drug impaired drivers is, is a big one for us now. We have members in the country that are um, qualified in doing um, drug driving tests. Um, not only are they in specialist units now in the Highway Patrol, but they are in these areas. Um, so uh, they're on notice if they are driving while they're impaired, um, be prepared to um, undergo a drug test. And, and I, I guess it's important also not to lose sight of the fact Drink driving as well is still an issue and uh, still treated at the same level as what uh, drug use and drug driving is too. Absolutely. Um, just drink in moderation, but don't think that the next day, if you have a big night, next day you're driving in the morning, that the, the alcohol is going to be out of your system. Quite often it's not. Um, so make sure you have a, a bit of a think about how much you did drink that night before and maybe you need to stay a little bit longer or stay the next night because if you are over... It's pretty, pretty heavy um, fines and loss of licences if, if you do go over. And mobile phone use, I would think, oh, yeah. too, driving. Mobile phone is another big one and um, we all see it when we're, we're not working and certainly when we're off duty we see it all the time. But, um, um, yeah, that's another big one. That's, that's a heavy fine. So, you know, if you're talking on your phone or you're texting on your phone or watching videos, you're not concentrating on the road. So, Very good. Uh, and also the third point that seemed to uh, be pretty... Uh, Popular, not popular, pretty high up there as well was uh, the street violence such as um, assaults and theft and robbery in general. For Karangamite itself, I don't think we're... There's certainly some goes on, but I don't think we're the worst going around by any stretch of the imagination. I think our, our conduct, you know, our community conduct in relation to that is by Victorian standards is quite reasonable. Certainly, you know, some... Some is too much sort of thing. It's, it's, it's wouldn't say that's our worst uh, issue for this area. We've probably uh, gone, Bill, from one extent to the next. So when you think about we don't have a lot of the minor things happening, but then having those couple of armed robberies has really pushed that level that we don't normally see here in Karangamite, do we? Like that, uh, what ab we've had ab in the last Absolutely. Few All right. So um, probably when I answered that, I was probably thinking about our conduct around licensed premises and that sort of thing, which I think... It, generally by Victorian standards, is quite reasonable. Or any violence is, is no good, but um, we're not the highest by any stretch. Um, those, the two um, robberies that have taken place in a, short, in a short period of time were horrible crimes within the community and awful for the people involved, and um, it saps the confidence of the community. So... Whilst all the offenders have been arrested for those matters and they were they were unrelated, uh, it's it's still it's still a horrible event for for both the people involved in it and for the community. But um, so we've charged those person we've charged people around that, but um, it's still it still absolutely sticks with the community. 
And finally, a question, Bill uh, and Andrew, uh, without notice, but uh, something that I thought of whilst we were having this discussion this morning. Um, the issue of speeding motorists, uh, when you guys are out on the road on the job and you've got somebody pulled up that 40k an hour speed mm. limit uh, going past uh, uh, the, the emergency vehicles and particularly um, police vehicles. People need to be uh, alert and re remember to back off and slow down to the 40k. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we often, you know, if we're pulling over cars on the Princess Highway or, you know, or, or any other road, Cobden Warnable Road. Well, any, any road any at all, road, a back road, yeah. a major road or whatever, yeah. Yeah, we, we're out on the road, we want to get home to see our families as well, so it's important that um, they slow down. If they see the blue and red lights, slow down. I think it's a new, it's a relatively new law and I think the mm. the situation around it's improving by the day Good. and also people need to be careful if they absolutely slam on the brakes around that, mm. there's also a danger around that. So just a smooth slowdown around those is, uh, is certainly the preferred option. But I think that situation is getting better by the day as, yeah, people, yeah. as people get yeah. more used to it and get uh, and, and work around it sort of thing. Mm. Gary, can I just um, pick up on something that Andy said earlier about um, knowing our rosters here within our small local areas, and Bill, we were talking about it earlier off mic, about the different rotations that you'll be putting in place. So it's not as predictable that if people are wanting to do, you know, opportunistic or doing the wrong thing, they know when our local police are actually on duty, that you guys are actually looking at your rostering system around that and tailoring at times to help better serve and protect the community. I think that comes back to um, what we spoke about earlier is if people see patterns of crime or patterns of, of offending, um, if we know about that and we get information from you know, various, um, various people, then we, we can change our patterns and not be so predictable. So um, if there are things that are happening late at night uh, and we know about it, we can change our roster to, to vary that. But not only that, we, we, we work... Um, at, yeah, night shifts occasionally. Um, if there's a pattern of crime or a theme that we need to address, we, we, we will change it up. We work a night shift. We won't we won't advertise when that's going to be, but we'll we'll be around. Um, hopefully, when people least expect it. We just both worked one uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was uh, yeah, saw a, saw a few things, but it was yeah, interesting. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah. Also, from the from the community safety survey. Um, We've also taken, we've already taken some some learnings from that, and even just a a patrol along the the main street and that sort of thing as we're coming on duty, just to just to show show her around. Support well, the local economy, Bill. Go and get a coffee on your way to work. And I've had an excellent, we've had an excellent co coffee from Cobden <laughs> this morning. <laughs> That's but, all we want. Yeah. So, but um, you know, just for a cruise around, you know, see people. You know, people say that we're about and that sort of thing. Um, we're also, I've sort of also floating the idea. We'll for you know, just for signing the documents and that sort of thing that we might start putting a sandwich board out so you're not coming and knocking on the door and, and not getting an answer, that sort of thing, that you know that we're there for at some point of the day and can go and get your documents signed and just and that sort of stuff, which is, you know, important to people. We've actually missed that, I think, because of COVID, not only COVID, True. but the safety of being single officer stations too that mm. um, it wasn't always advertised. They were there on their own. You, so. You're absolutely right there. We've mm. probably... We've probably taken better measures around that now and certainly like having the conversations with people for, you know, for the service to sign documents and that sort of thing, 
please come and please please come and use us. Yeah. Also, while we've got uh, a chance and opportunity, the rural scene with uh, the likes of on the farm with farmers, with livestock, with uh, property and equipment. Can we talk about that for a moment, guys? And um, what uh, because there's been a bit happening of late as well around the region. So uh, yeah, there is. There has been a lot going in relation to farm crime and Victoria Police recently introduced the farm crime liaison officers which were formerly the agricultural liaison officers so they play a big part in Big Pole as well and um, we have them um, based out of Warrnambool is one of our farm crime liaison officers. Um, so in relation to farm crime it's you know they just have habits of leaving the four-wheel drive uh, the you know the motorbike with the key in the ignition. Um, we do have people from uh, you know, cross-border offending where they come from Ballarat or Geelong. These crooks are sort of fairly well organised. Um, so it's just around um, locking things up as well, taking the keys out of the motorbike, taking the keys out of the ute. Um, in relation to livestock, um, you know, that, that, that's that's big part as well. We've had a lot of it sort of over in the Krangamite. Um, so it, it's, people really just need to, if they see cars or utes or trailers or anything like that that they, they don't know that's not local to the area or they think is suspicious. Um, they really need to call triple zero as well. It's high victim impact. It's, you know, they're worth a lot of money these days. So um, we just need to get the message across that they need to be confident that if they do report it to the police that something will be done about it. I've noticed um, if for those that don't follow the iWatch Warnable Facebook page, that's a really important way of understanding if there's, especially farm theft, I noticed that someone had a post up about cows being stolen um, and this is, you know, dairy cattle. Mm. So that's a good way for people to keep in touch with what's actually happening around their community and I think it's a way that Vic Police are actually trying to get the community involved in, in, in the apprehensions and, and trying to find out further information. Yeah. So I think it's a good reminder for those people that aren't following. If you're on Facebook, I know not everybody is, and particularly the older generation say, oh, I don't want to get involved in Facebook, but it can serve a really positive purpose and a good way of sharing important community information. Just like um, the podcast, um, we need to use whatever avenues we can to get messages out there when it comes to the safety of our community. So for those that aren't um, following iWatch, make sure they get on. I know the Camperdown station... I think there's one of the officers in there that's very savvy and shares a lot of things relevant, probably more so to Krangamite. So we need to go, you know, give Krangamite a real boost and maybe we can outdo the Warnable counterparts, but it is iWatch Warnable. You're not turning this into a competition. Well, we could always turn it into a Camping and Cobden thing, but I'm being a bit more broader. <laughs> Krangamite, Warnable, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Or Moyne. <laughs> Just in relation to our crime, we've had some really significant arrests um, Recently, uh, in relation to a series of burglars, burglars um, particularly around supermarket type of stuff, um, just as Annie was saying, we're always em emphasising that we really would like information coming in. Another means is Crime Stoppers, which is one eight hundred triple three zero. Annie and I are both very crime orientated, so we're just too happy to hear the, to get information in and act on that. So as in catching criminals, not committing the crime uh, <laughs> so you say crime orientated <laughs> yeah that's uh, no, for uh, yeah for catching the criminals <laughs> and that's probably a good cheerful note to end on uh, Acting Sergeant uh, Andy Raven thank you and Bill Caldu uh, Senior Sergeant thank you thank you cheers thanks guys thanks Joe Australia Day, what does it mean for you? 
For a couple of Cobden citizens, it meant special recognition for their efforts in our community. We congratulate Kate Daffy on her nomination for the Citizen of the Year Award and for receiving an Achievement Award on Australia Day. We also congratulate Mark Roberts on his award for his volunteer efforts with the CFA. Gary caught up briefly with Mark to pass on congratulations and hear his reaction to the award. Talking now with Mark Roberts, who uh, recently received the Australian Fire Service Medal. Um, Mark, welcome again to Cobden Now We're Talking. Thank you, Gary. Nice to be here, yeah. Now, it's it's a pretty big award, isn't it? Explain to us what the award's about. Yeah, so it really took me by surprise. It's it's an award that gets... Um, it's, it's to one in 3,000 volunteers and one in 300 paid personnel gets gets issued once every uh, twice a year sorry so it's they're few and far between and they're they're not given out lightly and um, it was a bit of a shock when I when I was told about the nomination and if I was going to accept the nomination at the time back in November. It's fair to say you were pretty humbled by receiving the award and and you I guess you you felt yourself personally um, that there were probably a lot of other people that could have been worthy of it as well. Exactly, Gary. Like you, you don't see you don't see people getting them just of nothing. Like you've been around for a long time and done a lot of exceptional stuff before you get them. And, and again, that was part of the reason. Like I didn't think that there was other people around that's been in the service and done a lot more. We well, look to think they've done a lot more and all that that's been there a long time. And um, but then someone's obviously took the time to to recognise the work that I've done and nominate me and there's been a lot of work going in behind the scenes to, to put the nomination in and yeah it was sort of certainly a shock to um to know that I've been nominated for it. Now a, a lot of it would have had to do with the St Patrick's Day fires and and what culminated for weeks and weeks on <laughs> yeah. after that Yep. but also for other parts of what Mark Roberts has done to this point with CFA, like your involvement with the juniors. Yeah, so it goes. It looked at it looked at all my history and everything I'd done. So it goes right back to the, to me when I first signed up to doing the juniors, running with the juniors and all that sort of stuff, running the junior brigade, and then like you said, it was um, mainly for the work with the St Patrick's Day fires, and not so much what happened with that initial night, but it was the um, it was the weeks afterwards with the lingering peat fires and the community engagement and and picking up all the little bits and pieces along the way and, and keeping the sort of... With that big incident, there's a big incident management team and they come in from all over the state and um, they get changed out every four days. And a lot of that little, little bits of information with certain people's fence or certain people's issues, they get lost along the way. And um, just keeping those little bits of information and keeping them going through and making sure they got followed through to the Instant Control Centre and those little issues got followed up and with a fire that lingered for, for six to eight weeks, I don't think Gandria, my wife, seen me for those six to eight weeks and she wondered if I was ever going to come back home again and spend time with the family. But, um, yeah, there was a lot of time. It's just one of those fires that dragged on and dragged on. It was not like a normal fire but with the peat that just kept going, so made things difficult, yeah. So what is it that, that you personally get out of your involvement with the, the CFA and, and not only now but right back from when you started what what is the what's the passion and what drives you to continue to be involved yeah i think everyone's got to got to sort of commit to a community to make a community run and the fire brigade was something i got involved with at a young age with my friends and all that and it's something we all done and we done the competition running and then it was just a natural progression to to join the brigade and go to your fires and that and 
um, it's just something you can do to the community and like going through the ranks and that you can do what you can do when you can do it and um, if it means helping someone else out um, you hope that there's going to be someone if you're in a position later on um, that someone's in the same spot to help you out and I always remember one incident that you, there's one incident I went to and there was a local lady involved and um, a bit upset and all that until she seen a familiar face and she sort of settled down and you go, that's what you sort of do it for is to give that people reassurance that there is some local people there and a, a familiar face sometimes that all it needs to help them in their bad situation sort of thing. Fair enough. Mm. What lies ahead? What's the future for Mark Roberts as far as your involvement <laughs> at a local level and at a, uh, at a higher level for the CFA? Yeah, so you look at all the ones that are group officers and that, like, uh, they're mainly self-employed, the people that can sort of juggle their hours and that, like, nothing, like, there's a lot of good people that are employed that do a lot of stuff too. I just keep saying to people, you do what you can do when you can do it, and I'm in a fortunate position with my own business that... Um, I can juggle my business and my CFA work life together and I look at my CFA as a bit of a release from my business, something else to focus on. Some people play golf, I'm no good at golf. <laughs> um, some people go fishing, I go fishing but I get frustrated at that. But like it's again, it's just having that bit of a balance and something different to take your mind off work sometimes and the pressures of everyday work and it's putting something back to the community because like every um, community organisation, volunteers are small, are, are getting less on the ground and we need people around. And again, I, you don't have to be there for everything, but what I say to people, you do what you can do when you can do it and I'm in a position I can do a bit more when I can do it. So, yeah. Here's a perfect opportunity to get a free plug-in <laughs> for anybody that might be considering perhaps getting involved with the CFA. What do yes. they do? Well, yeah, get online or come up to the Cobden Station. Um, online, there's, there's an easy access through line through um, CFA online. There's a, there's a link to, that shows you how to join your local brigade. It doesn't have to be Cobden. There's a lot of little rural brigades around. And there's, there's jobs in a brigade for everyone. Like, you don't have to be on the back of the truck all the time. You can be community engagement. You can be a secretary. There's a number of jobs, positions available. But then also we do need people to get on the back of the truck and, and help go, in the, go to the fires and whatnot too. So um, if you are in town and you see the, the station open, go and see Betty and she can point in the right direction and help you join the whether it's the Cobden Brigade or any brigade in the Cobden Group or, instance, any brigade in the Kerringamite Shire too. So... Um, yeah, again, if you've got time to spare, if you give a little bit, you don't think you have to do much, you can do a little bit or you can do as much as you want. So it's, it's, it is quite rewarding, like I said, when you go to an incident or you go see someone in, in a bit of strife and they see a familiar face and it totally changes it. It makes them there more relaxed and, and hopefully helps them out through a bad situation. That Yeah, hopefully that not everyone's in that time, but um, if you can help someone in that time, it, it does help a little bit, you, and that's what gives you that sense of achievement sort of thing. Well, Mark, once again, to you and to all the, the volunteers involved with all the CFA brigades around, a big thank you from uh, the, the general public, the community, on what you do, and, and congratulations once again on your Australian Fire Service Medal. No worries. Thanks very much, Gary. And it, it's an award just not for me, but it's all the people that got me to where I am too. And like it's, I think I look at it as a, an award for the community because it's... That's what we are. We're, we're a big community and it's a big brigade and we're one big family, so it's, it's for everyone out there. So thank you. Well done. Congratulations, Mark Roberts. Now it's time to sign off for Episode 6. We look forward to joining you again for Episode 7. We'd like to thank our supporters, the Cobden and Districts Community Bank and Kerangamite Shire and our parent organisation, Progress in Cobden, 
So until next month, keep talking, Cobden. We know we're just scratching the stories of Cobden. There's so much more to look into and bring you in coming months. We really want to hear from listeners about topics they would like to listen to or find out more about. Please let us know. Talk with any of us or email cobdennwt at gmail.com or just drop a note to P.O. Box 37 Cobden. Make sure you mark it Cobden Podcast. After all, it's your podcast, so tell us what you want to hear. we like to thank our supporters, the Cobden and Districts Community Bank and Kerangamite Shire and our parent organisation, Progressing Cobden. So until next month, keep talking, Cobden.